Everyone wanted to write and they had some good ideas so they wrote it down and it turned into a book that Dustin and Katie can read. Dustin and Katie can read. Yeah. Hello everyone. This is Dustin. And this is Katie. And you're listening to Dustin and Katie can read. There we go. You, come on. You should have joined I in. never join in. I want you to one time. I'll surprise so, you one time. Okay. Yeah. And everybody else will clap at home. We yes, won't know though. Right. So. Unless you leave us comments, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, so what are we reading this this month? Uh, we are doing the Goosebumps Living Dummy Trilogy. Yes, we are. We're doing basically the slappy origin story in a way. It was far back as we know of it so much. Yeah, do they go into that later? I don't think so. I don't think so. Maybe I mean, they do. If somebody knows, please give us a you know, shout out. Give us out a shout, yeah. Tell us, you know. I'm not going to read it if they do, but I, I want to know about it. I would like to know. Yeah. I'd, I'd be interested. I actually I posted to R.L. Stein. I was like, hey, can we get an origin story for Slappy or maybe some things set in the past to show how old he might be? Well, we'll see now. Since we don't know if he's already done that, you may have just made an ass of yourself. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's okay. That's fine. Whatever. So, um, well, in these books, I want to note that all the protagonists are girls. Woo! The main, the lead figure that we follow is, um, is a girl. And so I thought that was really cool how... This is, you know, Slappy has become such a prominent figure in the Goosebumps universe. You know, you can you can recognize his character as part of Goosebumps right away. And which, I don't know if you knew this, it used to be a skeleton, like this punk rock skeleton named Curly. Okay. Which I don't remember being in any of the books. I think it was just a mascot made up just to have a, along with posters. Or, Interesting. No, I did not know that. Yeah, he had sunglasses and a multicolored mohawk and like, a, you know... And he would always like be looking over his sunglasses, and I wouldn't understand it, and I really didn't. But I understand Slappy being a mascot. So was was Curly like the one who's saying, "Reader, beware, you're in for a scare," or? Um, I think maybe. Well, I think they said like they they would say that I'm, like on I'm, posters or gotcha. like stand ups. I'm, stuff, I'm like far fascinated by this now. I so. have no idea who it is, but it kind of I guess if I would be like a punk rock version of like the family from Say Cheese and Die, like that cover. Okay. Okay. That's, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like no, they're wearing, kind of wearing clothes a little gotcha. bit. You can tell they're skeletons. But anyway, so, you know, eventually he faded away once Slappy's popularity really took hold. And that grew because, you know, other than just these three Night of the Living Dummy books from the original 62, you know, Goosebumps books, they went on to Goosebumps Series 2000 and they had Bride of the Living Dummy and Slappy's Nightmare. And then when they went on to Goosebumps Horrorland, they had Revenge of the Living Dummy and Slappy New Year. Then they had Goosebumps Most Wanted, which was Son of Slappy. Oh, Jesus Christ. He procreated? I, I guess. Ugh. Then, of course, you had the Goosebumps movie adaptations. And that had, that had one of those was called Slappy's Revenge. Then they now have the um, sl- uh, the Slappy World series. It's kind of a um, it's Goosebumps Slappy World. And it's ongoing right now. It's still going. It's like they had these titles. <laughs> Some of these are funny. Slappy birthday to you. I am Slappy's evil twin. The ghost of Slappy. The dummy meets the mummy. <laughs> Diary of a dummy. And my friend Slappy. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and of course, they have now, they have Goosebumps graphics. So they have like comic books and like kind of graphic novels and uh, adaptations of the books before. So one of them was called Slappy's Tales of Terror. And that one actually has an adaptation of the first Night of the Living Dummy story. Oh, cool. So it's kind of neat. All right. But yeah, he's he's the mascot. This is the guy. All right. He's also received several updates and appearance over the years. 
in which, you know, you have the, the Goosebumps movie and Slappy World are basically the current look for him right now. I took a social media poll, and the version from the Goosebumps TV series was the most popular in our poll. Okay. And I did that all across Instagram and Twitter with the original artwork coming in set work. Second. In set work? <laughs> set work. <laughs> so, but the movie version, the new movie version um, is third. Okay. But that's because, you know, most of the people we poll are older, so they, yeah. you know. But I think he's kind of handsome now. You know, he has a few changes. And I actually think that he looks a little closer to what he's supposed to look like because all the other versions that they put out, they still kind of look nice and shiny and new and or nothing's wrong. And he's supposed to even have like, you know, nicks in his yeah. in the wood and whatnot. And, and so he's dirty. He's old. Right. He's used. And that's what he looks like. He he's looks handsome, evil. but he's got like he's got like a rubbed out spot on his nose and his right. chin. And so you can tell that, you know, I po- I posted a, a picture of one who actually got the eye color right and there was a split in the lip and stuff like that. Somebody like did a little photoshopping of it. I mean, I would buy after the first two books, I would buy like a kind of shiny new adaptation of him because of events that occur in the third book. Yeah. But like, yeah, original, you know, slappy 1.0. He's kind of he's old. Yeah. Well, you know, that's that's why I want to know how old is he? <laughs> how long has he been around before that? Side note, did you know that sexual attraction to a dollar statue is called agomaltophilia? Unfortunately, I did know that. So you did know this? I did. Well, I'm not saying I'm into dolls, but I don't if know, I was did... a ventriloquist dummy, I'd definitely have wood for slap. Oh, Jesus, no. Hey-o. Make it stop. You did say he was handsome before, so I had a feeling we were leading there. <laughs> but he is. He's kind of a handsome guy. You know, like I said, what, you know. I learn new things about Dustin every day, y'all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess now we can go on to my theme songs. Okay. So now we're actually going to do a, a, a theme off because I couldn't figure out which one I like better. So, Katie, you're going to choose which one you like the most. And the first one is called Ventriloquism Kills. Ventriloquism Kills. All that work to stop moving your mouth. Just to have your dummy come to life and choke you while you sleep. Okay, so that was the first song. And next we have the second song, and I call it Slappy Song. Don't put letter cards from dummy's pockets. It might bring forth the curse and unlock it. If you do, then I hope that you learn your lesson. Slappy loves to torment and to keep you guessing. So what'd you think? Okay, so they were both very good. Uh, I appreciate the effort that you put into these. Because that is more effort than I am willing to put into pretty much anything. That's okay. Um, <laughs> obviously, anybody who knows me knows my tates. I'm obviously going to choose the first one because I loved it when Stabbing Westward performed it at Beale Street Music Festival Woo! way back like 20 years ago. So I like it today. And that's my pick. Oh, Katie. Yeah. Stop giving hints to our ages. Stop giving hints to our ages. I think we've said our ages. Uh, whatever. <laughs> uh. I'm sorry. Anyway, let's get back to the book. Okay. Um, why don't you go ahead and read the cover, or, you know, read the cover, in the, you know, RuPaul way, like, you know, analyze it. <laughs> the RuPaul way? That's, you know, you know, the library is open, and you, oh. you read each other. Okay. Anyway. So, anyway, the first book we're doing is Night of the Living Dummy, 
the front cover has a dummy that Dustin is obviously sexually attracted to on the cover. And it says, he walks, he stalks. And the back cover says, he's no dummy. Lindy names the ventriloquist dummy she finds Slappy. Slappy is kind of ugly, but he's a lot of fun. Lindy's having a great time learning how to make Slappy move and talk. But Chris is jealous of all the attention her sister's getting. It's no fair. Why does Lindy always have all the luck? Chris decides to get a dummy of her own. She'll show Lindy. Then weird things begin to happen. Nasty things. Evil things. No way a dummy can be causing all the trouble. Or is there? Reader beware, you're in for a scare. Ooh. Yeah. Thank you, Katie. So let's get into this because we got a little ways to go. Yeah. Because we're doing the whole trilogy, guys. Yep, we're doing three books. So book one starts now. We open on Chris and Lindy Powell, who are blonde-haired, blue-eyed twins that are nearly identical, except the difference being that Lindy has long hair and Chris cut her short, so they, they'll be seen as individuals. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's always twins. There's it's always, always twins. I know. I mean, they're not going to be seen that way until they you know, get older and have different experiences. And till then, they, it'll, you'll be known as the twins. Yep. But, you know, they're typical siblings, too. They, they're pranking each other and teasing each other. And as, at the start of the story... Chris is blowing a huge bubble with her gum and wants to impress her sister with its size. Lindy, however, goes the jerk route and pops the bubble all over Chris's face, laughing at her sister's expense. <laughs> I don't really like Lindy very much. I'm just going to throw that I out don't there either. from the jump. I mean, you know. Yeah. Chris then retaliates by snatching Lindy's book, making her lose her place. And the back and forth bickering between these two is already annoying. Yes. Already. And this is like Super irritating. Chapter. Yeah. So their mother doesn't understand why they annoy each other so much. I'm like, well, they're around each other constantly. It doesn't take a genius to understand that, Mama Powell. Yeah. <laughs> they like don't have enough space. Yeah. They, they share a room because the house isn't big enough for them to have separate rooms. Like, it's it's a lot. I would be irritated, like, just to be around somebody that often. Yeah, but something tells me they need a little more discipline. But, I mean, I'm, I'm not a parent, so, I mean, far be it from me to go there. But it just seems like they need a little more discipline because yeah. the mom's a little easy she's, on She's a little lackadaisical. Well, you know, I would have been smacked upside the head. But. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the sisters think of themselves as grown at age 12. Because all 12-year-olds do. Yeah, I know. So their mother's suggestion of going out to play seems beneath them, to which I say, stop trying to grow up so damn fast, kids. I know, right? Appreciate the freedom of childhood whilst you can. Please. I don't know what just happened to Dustin. <laughs> I'm, I'm breaking down. Oh. So they hear their dog barking. His name is Barky, and that's a truly inspired name. I think it's cute. <laughs> Barky the dog. Barky the dog. Mom suggests they take him out for a walk or maybe go for a ride on their new bikes. And they're typical kids. Everything is boring to them. Oh, can I, can I talk about the fact that they begged and begged and begged and needed these bikes and then they never touched they them? They just sit in the garage. Oh, that's that's me to a fault. Just saying. You're like, I need this. I need it. I need it. I'm never going to use it. Yeah, this is not going to yeah. happen. I'm, I might hurt myself. <laughs> Remember like two years ago when you went with me to buy a bike? Oh, yeah. I've still never ridden that bike. Oh. I'm just saying like I, I relate. Jamie Jamie rode my bike. But yeah. He has it still. Anyway, Lindy teases Chris after Chris suggests they go to the park because she likes a boy named Robbie who she'll obviously be looking for. They get their bikes out of the garage but stop short when they see the new house next door looks a little more finished. With no one around, they decide to go explore, guessing which room is which and imagining who might move in. Boy Crazy Chris wants some twins to move in for them to date, 
and Lindy is rightfully repulsed by the idea. Yes. <laughs> She's like, um, I don't want to date somebody who looks like your boyfriend and vice versa. I don't want yeah, it's it's creepy. Twins that's weird. Twins da- I, I've always thought that's weird. I know. I've seen that like on sitcoms yeah. or something. Or no, like there's like reality shows about that shit. It's I'm just like, what? Why? Yeah. I want to make a note that I used to play in new construction homes all oh, the time I did too. growing up. And I fucking love it. Oh, it's so, so much fun. Yeah. And I loved it, but you know, and especially when they haven't put the walls up yet. So yeah. you kind of you had like, like it, it's the framed studs. out, yeah, but you don't know exactly how, how everything's going to look, and everything looks so big and open. The possibilities are endless. Yes, no, <laughs> I used to love that. <laughs> oh, it's pretty awesome. I love it. Uh, anyway, they suddenly hear quick footsteps moving around the unfinished house, which makes them freak out and run outside. Shortly after, they see a squirrel exit, or as Tan France would say, squirrel. And they feel silly for being spooked. Though Chris does note that the footsteps seemed a little loud for a small squirrel. Hey, I have a squirrel in my attic, and those fuckers are loud. Just saying. Well, I mean, you know, it might have sounded a little different. She turns around and sees Lindy digging through the trash, through this construction dumpster, for some reason. And as she steps closer, she sees her sister pull a tiny body out of the rubbish. (gasps) Uh, Chris hurries over frantically and asks, is he alive? Is he alive? Chill, Chris. Look closer. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a mannequin. It's, it's never a mannequin. It's just a wooden ventriloquist yeah. dummy. Sometimes it's a fucking dummy also. Hi, murderinos. Well, here's the description per the book. His brown hair was painted on his head. His blue eyes moved only from side to side and couldn't blink. He had bright red painted lips curved up into an eerie, eerie smile. The lower lip had a chip on one side so that it didn't quite match the lower, the upper lip. Wait. Oh, I wrote it wrong. <laughs> the dummy wore a gray double-breasted suit over a white collar shirt. The collar wasn't attached to a shirt. Instead, the dummy's chest was painted white. Big brown leather shoes were attached to the ends of his dangling legs. Now, this description is spot on depicted on the book cover, except for in the book cover, his eyes are green. That's the only right. thing. So I, I need to ask you, do you need like a cold shower right now? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Let it go. Nope. Yes. Nope. Come on, Elsa, stop. <laughs> My name is Slappy! Lindy makes the dummy say, and I totally forget that he didn't already have this name. Yeah. She gave him that name. Yep. Negative Chris thinks the name is dumb and asks why Lindy picked it. Well, come over here and I'll slap you! Lindy snaps back at her in her dummy voice. Chris urges her sister... Her sister? Sister! <laughs> Chris urges her sister to put the dummy back into the trash so they can go. they can go to the playground. But Lindy isn't giving him up. She loves performance dolls, like the marionettes they used to have, but Chris keeps screwing them up and tangling up the strings. Lindy is determined to make up an act for herself and Slappy, perhaps even being booked by for paying gigs, like a kid's birthday party or something. Lindy thinks Chris is just jealous that she found Slappy first. Yeah, I, I'm with Chris on this one. Sorry, Lindy. It's a no for me, dog. No, no, no I don't know. So just then, Amy and Ben Marshall, whom the twins sometimes babysit for, show up. These two redheaded kids. Bob loves a ginger. Yeah, I, I, I have some talk about gingers in the next book. I know he's all about the gingers. I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. Hey, that's you know, awesome. representation. <laughs> Even in book form. I'm not, any any representation we can get. Well, anyway, so these little kids, um, they're really interested in Slappy and, and Lindy, and wins them over by you know some improvising some jokes with them and stuff. And she feels emboldened that she's already getting the t- more attention than Chris. Like, she just feels like, ha look at that, see? And she smiles at Slappy and sort of thinks she sees a twinkle in his eyes as if he was lo- really looking back to her. I might hold that thought, girl. Yeah. Don't get too excited about that. 
a week goes by and Lindy's been practicing with Slappy every day, training to throw her voice and trying out new jokes in the family. And Chris refuses to be in her audience, acting all jealous and calling the whole ventriloquism thing nerdy. That is until she sees Lindy getting a lot of attention at school, especially from Robbie Martin, her crush. Mm-hmm. The final straw comes when Mrs. Marshall calls to request Lindy perform at Amy's birthday party since Ben and Amy seem to love Slappy so much. She's even going to pay her 20 whole dollars. Hey, to be fair, $20 was a lot of money for a 12-year-old well, in 93. I checked, and this book came out in 1993, so the $20 rate would equal $36.22 today. I mean, can you even imagine going to the mall when you were 12 and having like 36 bucks to just blow on whatever you want? I know, it would have been awesome. That's, in, that's insane. So that would be actually in Canada, because we have Canadian listeners, it's 48.22. And in Great Britain, it's 28.01. In Australia, it's fifty four thirty one. Yeah. So that's where a lot of our big listeners are. So yeah. anybody else wants to know, just, you know, look it up. <laughs> Conversion. You got the internet. So anyway, uh, Lindy goes to get Slappy to practice her routine on her parents again. And Chris takes the opportunity, opportunity to ask for a dummy for herself. Actually whining about it, not being fair that Lindy has one and she doesn't. She's a fucking brat. Uh, they, they both suck. I know. I'm just saying. I, I, I in a way that like you know all twelve year old girls suck, and I can say that because I was a twelve year old girl and I sucked. <laughs> uh, but like these two are kind of a drag. I'm just saying they really are. So upon returning with Slappy and hearing this, Lindy is livid as she should be. Yeah. You know, she just wants to have something of her own. Exactly. Um, she calls Chris a copycat who needs to just go play with her crappy jewelry, and Lindy let her have this hobby on her own. And I have to side with her on this. Yeah, I mean that's a completely fair assessment. Their parents tell Chris that they can't get her a dummy because they're too expensive, but they suggest the girl share Slappy. Again, Lindy is pissed at the idea. As she fucking should be. Yes. This is a bad suggestion. So Chris just walks on over and gra- to grab Slappy from her when suddenly the dummy's hand whips up and says, beat it, Chris. Get lost, you stupid moron, and slaps her hard across the face. I mean, maybe I like Slappy more than I thought. I know. <laughs> I'm just saying. You're like, ah, maybe he's not so bad. Yeah. Ooh, Lindy, you in trouble, girl. (laughs) She begins to insist that Slappy did it, but it becomes apparent that she actually did do it. Their parents scold them both for constantly fighting and get Lindy to apologize to Chris for the slap, but she reluctantly hands him over to her sister. I would not have. Mm. Just saying. Watching Chris try to figure out how he works, Lindy fumes with bitterness. Why does she always have to share everything with her twin sister? Well, that's what happens when you're twins. I don't know why. It sucks. Later that night, Chris wakes up from a nightmare at 3 a.m. and notices Slappy sitting in a chair by the window, seemingly staring daggers at her. She gets up and makes her way over to him, staring right back into his eyes, expecting him to blink. She reaches out and feels that his head is unusually warm. She scoffs and knocks Slappy over, and he just, you know, she goes back to bed. Just then, she feels a hand grab her. It's not Slappy. (laughs) There's a lot of these little freak out scares yeah, at the yeah, end yeah. of these books, or at the end of each chapter. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's, Lindy. Yeah, just Lindy trying to freak her out. Chris goes back to you know back to sleep, annoyed, and continues the nightmare that woke her up in the first place. Someone was chasing her in her dreams. The following Monday, after rehearsing in the school chorus, the twins come home a little late to find their dad home from work earlier than usual. He apparently took a half day at work and ready to get ready for a conference. And Chris runs upstairs to put her school books away when she notices something extra creepy. 
Another dummy is sitting next to Slappy in the chair. And my only note on this is, oh, God, another dummy. <laughs> As it turns out, Mr. Powell found a used one in a cheap pawn shop. A cheap pawn shop. A cheap pawn shop. Well, pawn shops can be cheap. He looks similar to Slappy, but with red hair and a casual denim and sneakers look to him. She names him Mr. Wood. <laughs> She's so... This is so unoriginal. I know. And she starts to taunt Lindy with him, saying Slappy looks ratty in his gray suit. I mean, just don't be a bitch, you know? Well, you know, now that she has her own. Yeah. Lindy says that she's more polished than Chris anyway, and she's already got a job performing at the birthday party. So, nah, Chris, you copycat cunt. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Dustin went there. The bickering is getting annoying. (laughs) So their parents are so over this and so am I. She's a 12-year-old girl, Dustin. I'm sorry. (laughs) I just called her a bitch like two seconds ago. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so the next afternoon, Chris is messing around with her junk jewelry collection when her good friend Cody Matthews knocks on her bedroom door. She called him over so, you know, she could try out her act with Mr. Wood on him. They go outside, and after several lame attempts at joking, if you can call them jokes, she's getting frustrated that Cody isn't really responding to her act. You know, and I'm 100% with Cody here, because if you invite me over to hang and I become the audience for your ventriloquism show, I'm going to bounce. You better be good. (laughs) No, I mean, I'm just going to bounce. I don't give a shit if you're good. This is not what I signed up for. Well, yeah. Well, He asked why she even wants to do this, and she admits it's just to really to show Lindy up. And Cody's over the twin sibling rivalry like everyone else. Everybody in this town is like, fuck God, those girls. the twins. <laughs> God, they want to shut the fuck up. Uh, he calls them both weird and leaves. So you know. I, Cody so far is my favorite character. I know. And he's very little part, part yeah. of this book. That night while prepping for bed, Chris vows to find some better jokes and some books at school tomorrow. Because hers were actually seriously really bad. Lindy enters with Slappy just getting in from her friend's house where she and Slappy had everyone rolling with laughter. I highly doubt that. Actually being supportive, Lindy asks how Chris is coming along with Mr. Wood. And Chris flat out lies and says she had Cody laughing so hard his sides hurt. Lindy smells a rat because Cody doesn't really have a sense of humor. (laughs) (laughs) She walks over and sets Slappy next to Mr. Wood, stating that they look cute next to each other before they both go to bed. The next morning, Chris wakes up and notices something. Mr. Wood is gone. <gasps> you didn't gasp with me. No, I did sorry. not. <laughs> well, Chris wakes up Lindy searching for Mr. Wood, and groggy Lindy has no idea what's going on and insists that she didn't do anything with Chris's dummy. Chris looks high and low before turning to see Mr. Wood in the doorway, propped up and wearing this nice outfit she had laid out for herself the night before. Uh, can I make a comment about this outfit, Okay. by the way? Because this book, this bugged me. Okay. So it's like a dress up party for one of their teachers or something like that. So the outfit that she's wearing, it's like a silk top and a Betsy Johnson skirt, like full out Betsy Johnson skirt. (laughs) And my note on this is your parents can't afford a larger house, but they can afford a Betsy Johnson skirt in the 90s because I call bullshit on that. Maybe they have some rich. Relative to the Maybe, stuff. <laughs> but like, I still can't afford Betsy Johnson and I've wanted it since 93. So, you know, I just, mm, I think that was just product placement for the sake of product placement and didn't actually make sense. So that's just my little takeaway from it. Katie's Corner. Yeah. Katie's Bitterness Corner. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So the the dummy, her, Mr. Wood is wearing her outfit and it's not, now it's all wrinkled. And Lindy still insists she had nothing to do with it, which makes Chris ask her, 
then who did? Did, did you just like do Doctor Who music? No. Oh. It's close. I don't know. <laughs> the next Saturday, Chris, Cody, Lindy, and Lindy's friend Alice are in the Powell's backyard. And Lindy's teaching Chris how to handle her dummy, giving her tips on her performance. Alice, like everyone else, is over the twins' weirdness about the ventriloquism. However, she does make a good suggestion. If Lindy is successful performing at Chris, uh, children's parties, she and Chris could be a duo act and make even more money. Which I'm like, yeah, maybe. If it has to be good, though. Well, yeah. If 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 she, you know, Lindy can take the lead, I guess, and make yeah. sure everything's good because she apparently has the talent, <laughs> the natural talent. Anyway, so Cody agrees, but Lindy scoffs at the idea, saying, "Maybe when Chris is ready, before grabbing Mister Wood out of." Chris's arms to show her how to hold him properly. And Chris demands Lindy give him back, but suddenly Mr. Wood starts to call her a stupid jerk, amongst other things. Uh-huh. Yeah, things are starting to heat up. What? Yep. Uh-oh. Chris tells Lindy to stop with the insults, but she claims Mr. Wood is speaking for himself. Lindy doesn't know what's going on, so she quickly flings Mr. Wood back at Chris, telling him to make him stop. And then she runs to grab Slappy for her birthday party gig as Chris stares into Mr. Wood's eyes, wondering what's going on. Later, Lindy returns home after the birthday party to find Chris on the swing set in the yard. And Chris, trying to you know force her support, even though she's jealous as hell, asks Lindy how the performance went. Lindy gushes at how funny she and Slappy are and that she got paid an extra $5. <laughs> she also was hired by Mrs. Evans to perform at her daughter's birthday. This time for $30. Chris lets her know that while she and mom were shopping at the mall, they ran into Mrs. Berman from school, and she asked Chris to be the MC at the spring concert. Basically, she's the opening act. Lindy, pissed that she didn't get asked, storms inside, hurling insults at Mr. Wood along the way. Sore loser. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think either one of them are, are looking good in this situation, personally. No, 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 no. They're not. After dinner that evening, Lindy and Chris retired to their bedroom to find Slappy upside down on the floor, clothing askew, and Mr. Wood on top of him, seemingly trying to strangle Slappy. Yeah, there's some dummy on dummy crime going um, on here, and yeah, I, I'm i here for it. Let's, what's going on? I think this is great. <laughs> they both claim they didn't put the dummies in this position, and amazingly, don't get into a big fight about it. <laughs> Though Lindy does mumble that Mr. Wood is evil. <laughs> evil little dummy. They actually agree to tell their mom about what's going on. They find her in bed reading a Stephen King book. You know I, you know I looked this up, right? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so this came out in 93, which means it could have been any number of books. But two books came out in 1992. Gerald's Game, which has become one of my personal favorites in recent years. And Dolores Claiborne, which is also fantastic. So it could be either of those or, you know, literally 25 other books. But I'm going to choose Gerald's game yes. because it makes me happy to think that. Yeah. You think his mom's a perv? <laughs> you know. It's all about like a. I, I, apparently I'm having feelings because this perv thing keeps coming up in these books. So <laughs> just saying. Well, okay. So she's reading Gerald's game and they startle her, which is, you know, not a good start to this conversation. Right. <laughs> Mrs. Powell is tired of the competing and the bickering and the whining about the damn dummies. She warns the twins that if they don't stop this stuff, she'll take the damn dummies away. <laughs> As she fucking should. She keeps cutting them off when they're trying to tell her about the weird things that Mr. Wood seems to be doing. So that makes me kind of mad, too. I'm like, no, listen. Listen to us. We're telling you something. Yeah. It's... That gets me mad. Yeah. Back in the room, 
Chris decides to put Mr. Wood on the shelf in the closet. She's getting sufficiently freaked out, and she just wants a good night's sleep, and I cannot blame her for that. No, not at all. After a restless night of disturbing dreams, she wakes up early to find Mr. Wood sitting in the rocking chair, his arm around Slappy, as if he's, like, taunting her. Right. Days go by, and no weird dummy incidents happen. Yay! So, at ease now, Chris starts rehearsing more with Mr. Wood. Her jokes seem to be getting better a little bit, but not really. They're not really that funny anyway, but they're just a little better. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're still bad, but they're not as bad. They're more like dad jokes. Yeah, they're they're totally dad jokes. Well, I mean, a lot of ventriloquist jokes are. No yeah. offense to ventriloquists out there. I'm not saying, but if you're no, I mean, typical. If, if this is your craft and you're awesome at it, like, you do you. Rock it. It's, it's not my thing. So I really don't have any, you know, skin in the game. Exactly. So anyway, just then Lindy runs in, boasting that her another parent from a uh, a birthday party she worked on is interested in her being on this talent search competition on the local news station. And Lindy is so proud of herself and runs to tell her mom. Chris, finally unable to contain her jealous rage, slams Mr. Wood to the ground, immediately regretting it. Yes. <laughs> She's like, ah, bam, throws him down like, oh, God, oh, God. I'm she so apologizes sorry. to the dummy and she thinks... She sees unforgiving anger in his eyes. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've done that. I apologize to inanimate objects all the time. I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't mean to All the time. Don't be possessed. Don't try to kill me. Uh, you never know. <laughs> like, I, I read a lot and I listen to a lot of weird things, so you never know what's going to come to life. I know. That night, Lindy is awakened by someone moving about their bedroom. And then she sees a shadow in the doorway and asks, who's there? A whispered, it's only me, going to get a drink downstairs. You know, that's all she hears. Uh-huh. Lindy believes it's Chris and goes back to sleep, only to be awakened by Chris's horrible screams. And Lindy jumps out of bed and hurriedly follows Chris's yelps into the kitchen, where she steps into a large puddle of milk. Gross. I don't know. In no. the middle of the night, ugh. I hate that. I, I don't like stepping in anything wet anyway. I know, if you have socks on, too. Yeah, oh, it's the worst. Oh, I hate that. Yeah. And then she notices that all the food from the refrigerator has been knocked out onto the fridge, onto the floor. Yeah. And she notices that she even sees some of Chris's jewelry in the mix as well. And finally she sees Chris and she's backed up against the wall, frozen in fear. Then she notes that she sees Mr. Wood sitting in the floor, covered in food and jewelry, staring up at Chris menacingly with a big, wide, wooden grin. Yeah, it's creepy. Yeah. I'd be like, what the hell? Why are they trashing the house? It's creepy and it's probably kind of stinky. Oh, I know. That would suck. Yeah. So the next thing, you know, mom comes downstairs into the kitchen and she's seriously pissed off. As she fucking should be. Well, they're both, you know, and the girls both corroborate a story that, you know, they think Mr. Wood is alive and he's doing these weird things. Right. (laughs) But mom doesn't want to hear it. She's like, she's sick to death of this competing and the bickering and she's made up her mind the dummies gots to go. Yeah. Because now there's all this spoiled food and, you know, they don't have enough money because they spend it all on Betsy Johnson's skirts and I'm still bitter about that. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, groceries ain't cheap. I know. I know. But both girls, they try to plead with her, but it isn't until they offer to clean up the mess, replace the food from their own money, from their allowances and whatnot, and keep the dummies. They're allowed to keep them. And the dummy talk away from Mrs. Powell that she agrees to let them keep them. Yeah. That night, Chris, both angry with and scared of Mr. Wood, tosses him into the closet, frustrated with the situation. She climbs into bed and begins to drift off to sleep when she suddenly hears banging from the closet and a voice crying, Let me out of here! And Chris immediately calls out to her sister, who hasn't reacted at all. 
Lindy says she didn't hear anything, but Chris is convinced Mr. Wood is out to get her. I, I mean, I would be paralyzed in fear. I know. Honestly. If you heard something coming out of your closet. Yeah. She's shaking and crying out of fear, and finally Lindy fesses up. She's actually been pulling all the pranks with Mr. Wood. And my only note here is, holy shit, Lindy is such a bitch. I, know. I was like, are these like the Wakefields? Uh, <laughs> do they change their name? Uh, kind of totally, yeah. You know, did they just, you know, is this, you know, Goosebumps Valley twins? Yeah. <laughs> That's what it feels like. So, yeah, um, Lindy's been moving the dummy around. She's the one... That messed up the kitchen and got them both in trouble. She was throwing her voice to make it sound like Mr. Wood was talking. And Lindy thinks that all this gaslighting has been hilarious. <laughs> yeah, like, she just thinks it's the best prank ever. Yeah, she just congratulates herself on a job well done. One Well done. Well done? Well it's well done. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, she's a little bitch, you know. You know, what's up with the twins backstabbing each other in all these books? <laughs> I think twins just all hate each other, apparently. apparently. That's what I've learned from uh, from YA literature, is that all twins secretly hate each other. Well, Lindy calls Chris a nit, which is apparently half a nitwit, for believing Mr. Wood was actually alive. And Chris is rightfully pissed at Lindy for this elaborate joke and to make her go crazy. Again, it's pretty much the definition of gaslighting, and that's yeah. not cool. And now, since... They promised mom they wouldn't bring up anything dummy-related from now on. She can't even tell her who the real culprit was. Lindy is an evil mastermind covering all the angles. Yep. Chris yells at her sister, saying she'll never speak to Lindy again. But then she goes to bed and begins to plot her revenge. <laughs> a few days later, Chris and Cody are walking home from school on a hot afternoon, trying to distract themselves from the humidity. Chris confesses that she's barely talking to Lindy. Nice job caving in, Chris. Uh, I mean, you, you share a space with this person. You can't go on not talking to them forever. I know. But she still hasn't forgiven her sister. And she she shouldn't. No. She needs well, Lindy needs to apologize. Yeah. Lily, you know. Cody asks if she's told her parents what Lindy did, but Chris reminds him about the agreement they made with mom. Also, when Mr. Powell returned home from his work conference, Mrs. Powell filled him in on the dummy shenanigans, and she's not allowed to even bring it up to him. Yeah. So basically, they're now forbidden from talking to their parents about anything dummy related. I know. They can't. Anything that comes up. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that sucks. Yeah. We already know how that's going to go. Yup. The two part ways and Chris goes home to an empty house. Mom and dad are still at work and Lindy has an after school activity she's at. And she decides to go rehearse with Mr. Wood for the spring concert she'll be emceeing. As she begins, she notices something in Mr. Wood's pocket. A little yellow piece of paper with strange writing on it. Which, of course, she immediately reads out loud. Uh, hey, kids, if you ever find something in foreign writing in a place it maybe shouldn't be, don't fucking read it out loud. Jesus Christ. I mean, klatu, veratu, necktie. Don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. Well, it's not klatu, veratu, necktie. No, that's something else. But it does say, karu, Marie, O'Donnell. Don't say it out loud. Lona. Don't, don't. No, I'm serious. Don't say it out loud. Karano. Okay, How's that? that's fine. I'll, I'll skip one. And I'll say the... I'll say another part of it next time. Ugh. Instantly, if it's not like the, it's not like Beetlejuice. I don't care. <laughs> I am superstitious. <laughs> Instantly, she notices something. Did Mister Wood just blink? She shakes it off as paranoia and begins to practice her act. Later, after dinner, Mister Powell calls the girls downstairs to perform for their elderly neighbors, the Millers. And I'm like, "Hey, children! Our neighbors came over. Perform on command. <laughs> dance for them, children! Dance! <laughs> dance, monkeys! Dance!" <laughs> The girls are reluctant at first, but they decide it's good rehearsal time. So Mr. Powell has Lindy go first. 
And she does a great job of charming the old folks with her dad jokes. After bragging about her upcoming TV talent show appearance, Chris steps up to perform with Mr. Wood, noting that she'll be testing out her MC act. However, all Mr. Wood can seem to do is insult the Millers, mainly their appearance and their age. And Chris doesn't understand what's going on, and her parents insist she apologize. Mr. Wood hurls another insult at the old couple, and Chris is visibly upset. She can't even speak. She is so shocked. Her parents are pissed and demand an apology, and she starts sobbing before yelling out, Sorry! and running to her bedroom. Uh, this would be me. I know. I mean, 100,000%. What, what could you do? Seriously. Yeah. Upstairs, Chris is still crying and trying to convince Lindy that Mr. Wood has a mind of his own, and Lindy isn't buying it, claiming that Chris is really bad at the same gag she just pulled on her. I mean... I get it. I, I, I do get it, but at the Girl's same time... crying. Yeah, like, she's really upset, and... You know, she she's disrespectful to her sister, but I don't see her as the And type. it's almost like even more gaslighting. Yeah, I, I don't see her as the type that would be, like, just disrespect, disrespectful to her elderly neighbors. I know. I like, know. this seems really out of character. Well, no matter how much Chris tells her that she's scared or how much she cries, her sister just won't believe her. Instead, Lindy is already primed to take over Chris's MC gig at the spring concert, claiming that mom and dad probably won't let her perform now. And as it turns out, they just grounded her for two weeks. It's now time for the spring concert, and Chris is nervously holding Mr. Wood backstage. Mustering up the courage to perform, she whispers to Mr. Wood a request for, like, no insults tonight, please. (laughs) And this time, without a doubt, she sees him blink on his own. Yeah, it's creepy. Just as she steps out onto the stage to begin her act, Mr. Wood begins to hurl insults, mainly fat jokes, at Mrs. Berman. My favorite is... (laughs) If we count your chins, will we be able to tell how old you are? Yeah, it, it's clever. But it's also not like 12-year-old humor. No, it's definitely not. Mrs. Berman wants her to apologize. And then Mrs. Wood says, apologize for this! Before projectile vomiting up green pea soup-looking substances that stink to high heaven. Yeah, and I'm like, uh, if the dummy starts vomiting up literal evil, maybe the child isn't lying. Yeah, I mean, it's spewing it all all over the front row of the audience. And, I mean, everybody's going to flee. Yeah. And from the auditorium. And Mrs. Berman vows to get Chris suspended. Oh, no, she's like, if I have my way, you'll be suspended for life. And I was... Uh, Mrs. Berman, suspended for life is called expulsion. You're a, you're a teacher. You should know this. Maybe she meant suspended from life. Like, Maybe. I, I want her dead. I um, want you dead. But like, I literally texted Dustin the other night and I said, you know, these books are just a series of adults gaslighting children. And that, that's all it is. We can wrap this up right here, folks. Podcast over. No, come on. <laughs> no, no, no. So later that home at night, Mr. Powell makes Chris put Mr. Wood away in the closet. He's going to take that dummy back to the pawn shop as soon as possible. He's not even listening to her pleas of innocence. He says that he and mom are really too angry and they will sort everything out in the morning. So after he leaves, Chris turns to Lindy for comfort, but Lindy still doesn't believe what's going on and suggests that things will be clearer in the morning. However, Chris can't sleep. She can't stop thinking about Mr. Wood puking up green vomit all over everyone at school. (laughs) It's kind of, I mean, you know, she's restless until she hears a sound. Holding her breath... She listens closely to the rustling from inside the closet. The door opening. The light footsteps walking out of the bedroom. She slowly and quietly gets up and follows the sound into the hallway, watching 
and catching up with the figure at the top of the stairs. Of course, it's Mr. Wood. Yeah, and y'all, if anything in my house that isn't supposed to come alive comes alive, I'm just going to call it a day. <laughs> like, it's been a pretty good life. I've drunk a lot of fine scotch. Fare thee well, my bright star. I feel like I've said this on this podcast before, though. Maybe about a toaster. Maybe. I think that might have actually been the other Goosebumps episode. It probably. <laughs> <laughs> I might just be living really deeply in my own brain. Yeah. But, yeah, if something... You know, I, I just said I always apologize to inanimate objects. I try to treat things with respect. Well, you won't apologize to him because she can't believe her eyes. And she's looking at this dummy and he looks up at her and just goes Hiss, and hisses at her. Yeah. And then she grabs a hold of his shoulder and he begins to giggle, widening his exp- expression. She's like, but you're a dummy. And she says this and he chuckles. <laughs> so are you. <laughs> it's clever. I know. It's kind of funny. <laughs> he demands she let go of him or he'll push her down the stairs. Like, dang. Yep. Violent. Just a little. Chris actually swallows her fear and demand and stands up to him, only to end up in a tussle. They they roll down the stairs a little, and Mr. Wood hits her hard in the stomach. She realizes he's surprisingly strong. Well, he's fucking an evil dummy. Well, no. Can we change that? <laughs> <laughs> that did not come out correctly. He's fucking an evil dummy. <laughs> so yeah, he's strong. And just then, <laughs> Lindy shows up, wondering what's going on. And Chris tries to tell him that Mr. Wood is alive, and he's now laying lifeless on the floor. So, of course, she looks delusional. Lindy suggests that maybe Chris just had a bad dream, and, and just as Chris starts to get up, Mr. Wood springs to life again, trying to escape her grasp. Lindy freaks out <laughs> and sees this whole thing play out. She's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. Chris yells for Lindy to go get the damn parents and her sister... You know, takes off for help. Chris continues to struggle with Mr. Wood, seemingly, you know, hurting him by banging his head on the floor. Of course, when her parents arrive, the dummy just goes lifeless again, making her look like a fool. And they are seriously mad that they were woken up by this fool. Woking. (laughs) They were woken up by this foolishness. Mr. Powell even goes so far as to say Chris is going crazy. Yeah, like we have a parent literally telling their child that he thinks they're losing their mind. I think that's sad. I'm like, I, you know, to anyone, I guess this may, may seem the case, but your dad should never say this to you. Let the professionals diagnose her, you douche. Yeah, I just wrote, come on, parent, be better. I know. You know, they scorn the two girls, even though, you know, Lindy is still not sure what she saw before returning to bed. Again, Mr. Wood springs back to life when the parents leave. He laughs in their faces, saying that no one will ever believe them and that they will now be his slaves. Chris wants to know how he came to life, and he explains that she read the ancient words that were in his pocket. Yep. Acting on a hunch, she grabs for the yellow paper and reads the words again, expecting it to reverse the spell. But Mr. Wood just laughs, and, you know, those are just the words to bring him to life, not to kill him. Right. You silly, silly, stupid little girls. He owns them, and this entire household now. Creepy laugh. <laughs> Sorry, I read my instructions. <laughs> <laughs> Chris is determined to stop this. She and Lindy try to pull his head off, but it won't budge because, you know, you know, it says that it tickles him. Yeah. Chris is a thousand percent the voice of reason here because she's like, we need to kill the dummy. (laughs) We got to kill this thing. He's wooden. Just kill him. Drown your dolls. (laughs) They try to twist his head off, but nothing happens there either. And Mr. Wood says they can't kill him because he has powers. Chris tells Lindy to get the sharp scissors from her room so they can cut his head off. And Mr. Wood is... Please, for some reason, he starts chanting, violence, violence. (laughs) 
I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, you know, into S&M or something. <laughs> See, another sexual thing. Yes. We're only in the first book. I know. They can't cut through his neck. And he is really pleased with himself. He says that if they don't submit to him as, you know, being his slaves, that he'll start hurting their friends and family, starting with Barky, the family dog. Again, <sighs> with the dog cruelty, Bob. What's yeah. up? They decide to lock him into the closet until they can figure out what to do with him. He reminds them again that they can't kill him and that he has powers. He's getting really tired of their attempts to get him, you know, to off him. And soon he will retaliate. One of you will die, he says. You know, and, and these parents have fucked their children up so badly that they're afraid to tell them this because they know they won't believe them. Like, there's a murderous dummy who wants to make you his slave. Like, fucking videotape that shit or something. Get proof. If you can afford a Betsy Johnson skirt, y'all, you have a heavy-ass video camera kicking I'm around the house. I'm thinking they probably had another mortgage for that skirt. They, they must have. I guess the reason why they don't have the bigger yeah. house. I mean... They, they probably have one of those heavy-ass video cameras kicking around the house. Yeah. You know, throw that thing on a tripod, capture evil dummy shenanigans, get I proof. Agree. I agree. So they struggle with him before locking him into a suitcase and throwing him in the closet. Next, they ponder what to do before they finally decide to bury him under a huge mound of dirt at the construction site next door. I'm like, okay, it's at least something. Right. You know. They sneak out in the night, grabbing a snow shovel to dig with, which is huge. I'm like, how that's going to take forever to dig <laughs> with a snow shovel. I mean, it depends on the snow shovel. And, and I guess how padded down, yeah. how loose the dirt is. Yeah. All the while, Mr. Wood says that their plan won't work. He has powers, and they'll, you know, if they let him go now, they won't be too severely punished. They totally ignore his muffled pleas, and they begin to bury him, suitcase and all. By the way, as they're digging, they hear something in the bushes. Yes. Which I thought, you know... They brush it off as a raccoon, and I'm sure that won't be important later. Yeah. Hmm. They finish the burial and go back to bed. Lindy falls asleep, but Chris is still pumped full of adrenaline and just happy they got rid of that awful creature. The next morning, she goes down to the kitchen to find her mom very unhappy. That's when she sees Mr. Woods sitting on the counter. Mom reminds her that they had an agreement and that the dummies wouldn't be allowed in the kitchen. Mr. Wood privately winks and smiles at Chris, taunting her evilly. Mr. Powell enters the room and says he and Mom are going shopping. Like, <laughs> what a time to go. Right. Okay. And Chris tries to make them take Mr. Wood back to the pawn shop, but he refuses, saying that he'll take him back on Monday. It's Saturday. Right. And she pleads with them to stay home with them, but they ignore her. <laughs> They're just like, whatever, kid. Seriously, either if, if either of your daughters is crazy or, you know, she's, she's either crazy or she's genuinely scared. So you need to stay with her. No, no, no. We have to go shopping. No, we need to go shopping. But of course they leave. Lindy enters the kitchen and says, oh, no, (laughs) when she sees Mr. Wood. He says he was serious and that his two slaves need to be punished. And um, there's a lot of slave talk from this dummy throughout all of these books. And it makes me uncomfortable. I know. Because I'm mm, I'm going to like a dom sub place here and it's not (laughs) good for my brain. Like once you have that in your brain, everything Slappy says takes on a totally different connotation. So I'm just throwing that out to ruin everybody's day. <laughs> well, you know. So he says he, you know, they're gonna he's gonna punish them, and and that's when Barky enters the room, and Mr. Wood tries to strangle the poor dog again with the dog. Seriously, I, Bob, we need to have a discussion about your character's mistreatment of puppies. I know. So the I mean, both the girls they're go jumping at him. Yeah. And they're trying to pry him off the dog's neck, and they're you know the dog's just gasping for the air. Yeah. Like he even says he's gasping for air. Yeah. This poor puppy. Who did nothing wrong. But walk into a room. Yeah. <laughs> That's sad. 
It is. So they grab a hold of him and run next door, planning to throw him under the steamrollers, making their way, you know, across the yard. And they plan to toss him under one and flatten him out. However, Barky gets out and runs ahead of them, nearly getting himself flattened. And this causes the girls to drop Mr. Wood and run after the dog. And when they finally catch Barky, they turn around to see Mr. Wood, who's yelling, I'm free, I'm free, before he starts to run away. However, he didn't notice that the other steamroller was quickly, you know, coming at him and he was crushed with a crunch. And this this poor, like, operator. I know. Like, like, oh, my God. He's like, I just killed a kid. I know. He's, like, freaking out. And I, that's what like, I was thinking. I was like, did he not see this? Yeah. Like, <laughs> and, and they're like, no, no, it's fine. It's, it's, he's wood. It, it's, it's a dummy. It's a wooden dummy. Yeah. So when he gets crushed, a green, smelly gas, much like, like the green vomit from earlier, right. comes, you know, comes up from the steamroller. And the driver stops immediately thinking he hit the kid. Yeah. <laughs> but they hear him, it's just a dummy. Yeah. <laughs> And as it starts to rain, well, you know, all seems well. And the girls head back inside and upstairs to change into clean, dry clothes. And that's when they notice their window is open, allowing the rain to come in. And Chris hurries over to shut it. And when, you know, Slappy's hand shoots up, grabbing her arm. Hey, slave, is that other guy gone? I thought he'd never leave. (laughs) Plot twist. And that's the end of Night of the Living Dummy 1. Yep. Which I totally forgot that Slappy was not the main bad guy. No, Mr. Wood is. I know. I thought that was really funny. But it sets it up. It sets you up the whole thing for Slappy so you don't, you know, you know where to go with him. Yep. Okay, so Dustin, I have some information for you. And I have a little for you, too, but you go first. Okay, so there is a Slappy origin story. What? Yup. I looked this up, and this is from the Goosebumps wiki. Okay. So, as revealed in Bride of the Living Dummy, Slappy's Nightmare, Revenge of the Living Dummy, and Son of Slappy, Slappy was carved out of coffin wood by an ancient sorcerer. When the sorcerer died, he placed his soul inside of the dummy. He waits for a day when someone will say the magic words written on a card kept in Slappy's pocket, which I'm not going to say, which will awaken him again. Slappy's nightmare reveals that Slappy has a twin brother named Wally carved from the same coffin. However, this is only viewed as a dream until Jimmy gets a crate with Wally and a set of instructions inside. Oh. So this is laid out in other Slappy books. Okay. I was, I'm very, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that happened. Yeah. And now I feel like an idiot for even saying that. Yeah. On well, now. I mean, we're keeping it in. So there well, you no, go. Well, I, no, I put it out there on Twitter. I know. And that's why I said so there people might are gonna be, be like, one. oh, you. Yeah. Uh, you poser. Whatever. You fucking fake fan. Uh, well, whatever. <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah. And it's very apparent. Yep. <laughs> but as we've discussed before, R.L. Stein actually, you know, he started his career writing joke books and funny stories and stuff. And also for Eureka's Castle. And, yes. You know. And to add to this bit of trivia, something I didn't know until recently was that he actually wrote the book adaptation for Spaceballs. I did know that. And it was called Spaceballs the Book under his former pen name of Jovial Bob Stein. Yep. I did not know that. And I was like, oh, my God, that's freaking yes, awesome. No, I did know that bit of trivia. I think that's awesome. And I also love that it's Spaceballs the book because that whole merchandising yes, thing. Yes, yes, yes. I love it Spaceballs so much. Spaceballs the book. Yes. I kind of want to get it now. I know. Me too. I want to read it. And yeah. Maybe oh, we can make that one we read. We could. Oh, that'd be fun. That could be like a little special or something. Yeah. Tell us what you think about that, guys. Meanwhile, we're going to start... Night of the Living Dummy 2. Book hey, 2. Katie, take it away. Okay. So this book, first of all, the cover is um, it's Slappy sitting on a bed and there's two stuffed animals. There's a bear and a bunny. 
And I love this so much because they really remind me of the Key and Peele characters from Toy Story 4. Yeah. Like just the, the artwork of them. Uh-huh. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> so the front cover says, he's still walking, he's still stalking. And then the back cover is, you can't teach an old dummy new tricks. Amy's ventriloquist dummy Dennis keeps losing his head, dot, 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 for real. And that, <laughs> that's true. Uh, so Amy begs her family for a new dummy. That's when her dad finds Slappy in a local pawn shop. Slappy's kind of ugly, but Amy's having fun practicing her new routine. Then horrible things start happening. Horrible, nasty things. Just like what happened the first time. Because there's something odd about Slappy. Something not quite right. Something evil. Reader beware. You're in for a scare. Now, how do you feel about them saying that Slappy's kind of ugly? Because I know you got a thing. For well, Slappy. Think... <laughs> Shut up. Hey, you brought it up. I'm going to milk this puppy. I'm going I'm to drive On it into the ground. On to the story. <laughs> the book opens with a first-person narrative. Yes. Our main character, 12-year-old Amy Kramer, is complaining about spending time with her family for the lame family sharing night. Yeah, I, I didn't grow up with siblings, so family sharing night at my house would literally just consist of me babbling on and on about my day and performing. Yeah, we didn't do this yeah. either. So basically, I had family sharing night every night of my life until I moved out of my parents' house. I'm I'll- interested to know if anybody did, yeah, so if you did, let us know. Honestly, this sounds terrible. I know. Family sharing night. It just seems like, oh, we'll have to come up with something yeah. every week. Yeah. Ugh, that's just, No. So every Thursday night, like I said, the entire family, mom, dad, Amy, and her siblings, Sarah and Jed. Uh, shout out to Jed, a redhead, Ginger Solidarity-o. Woohoo! Already my favorite character. <laughs> I'm allowed to be biased. There you go. Uh, so they all gather around together to, quote, share. I get that this is supposed to encourage the family to stay close, but it's only going to push them apart by the parents demanding the kids provide so much inf- information about their lives. Yeah. <laughs> I don't get that, but why not just have a family dinner or like a game night right? and leave the door open for the kids to come to you instead of forcing it on them? Right. You know, I'm not even done with page one and I'm already angry at these parents. Is this seriously on page one? That's all on page one. Oh my God. Okay. Right at the beginning. Okay. So Amy laments that Sarah, her 14-year-old sister, has her paintings to fall back on. She has a natural talent, so no pressure on her to, to bring anything to the table. Her 10-year-old brother, Jed, doesn't ever feel the pressure of sharing. He burped once and said he was sharing his dinner with his family, which I found funny. Yeah, Jed's the best. (laughs) The parents are always getting on to him about, you know, taking family sharing night seriously. He even shared a a secret note a boy had written Amy once. (laughs) Apparently, he gets away with a lot. And her description of him makes him sound like he's either been adopted or Mama Kramer was having a little fling on the side. Yeah, yeah, because he doesn't look like anybody else in the family. Like, everybody else has, like, black hair and green eyes. Or... Right, and he has pale skin and red hair. Yeah, ginger solidarity, yo. Yeah, I know. Ooh, hmm. Anyway, Amy's turn to share comes up, and she brings out her old ventriloquist dummy, Dennis. She's been playing with him for some time now, improving her act, and Jed and Sarah are both bored with this, with a lot of her jokes fa- uh, falling flat. Typical wood-based jokes, like Mr. Woodchuck from Full House. Yeah. <laughs> Wood. <laughs> anyway before we go further can we talk about the fact that amy is totes going to be a burnout in high school uh okay like, she loves bob marley and reggae and she has a seashell collection and i know exactly who this girl is i love her but who I, is she no she's just like that classic burnout <laughs> like i i know i know oh her. i know and yeah. probably wears tie-dye a lot yeah she's gonna like drop out of school and follow the dead lets her hair dry naturally yeah yeah that doesn't sounds- shave <laughs> 
It doesn't shake. Good for her. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, so suddenly Dennis's head falls off, causing her brother and sister to laugh at her. And embarrassed, Amy lashes out at her dad for not getting her a new dummy like he promised. He says they're all too expensive, and her mother just tells her to roll with what she's got, basically. <laughs> yeah, I mean, get some duct tape. Duct tape works for everything. I guess, but I don't know. It's Sarah's turn to share her watercolor that she's been working on, and Amy is instantly jealous of all the attention and her effortless artistic talent. Yes. They follow Sarah to her room to see her painting. It's still too wet to move. But when they arrive, they find that Jed has brightened up her painting with a yellowy smiley face in the corner. I think this is hilarious. (laughs) Sarah is pissed, and I sort of sense that Amy is happy that her painting is ruined. (laughs) <laughs> and that Jed, who hardly gets pu- punished, is getting read the riot act. Typical middle-aged, you know, or middle-child observations here. Jed is basically mad because he doesn't seem to have talent, but their dad says that he they all have some talent, like his talent for cooking homemade Chinese food, which Amy says they all pretend to love because it sucks ass. Yeah, they hate it. I think that's so funny. <laughs> Sarah tries to repair the painting as Amy watches on, somewhat pleased because Sarah is so full of herself. Later, Jed pranks Amy by putting Dennis's head on the windowsill, making Amy think that someone is watching her. Yes. Also, like, throughout this whole thing, Jed keeps saying the word reek. Like, you reek. You reek. What's yeah. Up? You reek. And, and all, my brain is just like, reek, rhymes with meek. And then I'm like, aw, Theon Greyjoy, best character in Game of Thrones. <laughs> just throwing that out there for people to hate on me in social media. Go ahead. Carry on. <laughs> Amy's friend Margot comes over who Amy is quick to describe as a very tiny, literally everything is tiny on this kid. Her face, her features, her waist. Even the boys at school make fun of her for being so little and weak. Yeah, the boys in school are going to fucking love her in a couple years. (laughs) While Margot is cool for idolizing the Beatles, she seems a little clueless. But she does have good news. Her dad runs an event rental space named The Party House and is looking to hire Amy for some kids' birthday parties. Like, again, with the birthday card. Yeah. And also, the description of Margot. I also know exactly who this girl is. And they're going to be burnouts together, but Margot won't get caught because she doesn't look the type. Huh. Uh, She'll also be doing a lot of acid while listening to Revolver. (laughs) And also, this came out in May of 1995, and New Beatles music was released in December of 1995. Mm -hmm. So she is going to be super happy in a few months. Aw. I know. Well, I mean, the song wasn't that great, but she's still going to be super happy in a few months <laughs> because I was this girl. I was a couple years older, but I was this girl. So well, I'm glad you share that interest. Yeah. <laughs> Amy sadly has to decline because Dennis's head fell off. Mm. However, later that night, dad brings home a new dummy for her. He found in a super cheap pawn shop. <laughs> Again with the cheap pawn shop, Dustin. Any guesses who this dummy would be? I mean, he sounds a little familiar. Do you have a description? Well, apparently the pawn shop owner practically gave Slappy away. Yeah. Gee, I wonder why. After cleaning Slappy up, <laughs> he's already named Slappy. They said his name's Slappy. Yeah. Uh, well, he's, fa- he's already alive. Like, they probably he probably told them his name, and the pawn shop owner's like, gotta get this motherfucker out of here. <laughs> I'm gonna sell you, okay? Yeah. He's like, you, you, go you gotta that? go. You got to you go. You go home with this family and just yep. permit them. <laughs> so after they clean Slappy up, they find a moldy sandwich stuffed in his head. Yeah, that was what is disgusting that about? because they're like, oh, my God, it's his brains. And like, no, it's just it's just an old nasty ass sandwich. I know. It's, I think it was really gross. Yeah. Well, Amy finds a yellow piece of paper in his pocket and reads the words aloud like a dumbass. Sigh. 
blah 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 odonalona blah 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 karanu thank you for that by the way <laughs> that's when slappy's lip twitches and he winks and at that point drown Wait. your fucking dolls like no it's instantly a no. at my at this age if i was 12 and i found this and this happened i, I would have known instantly oh my god i just did a spell yeah <laughs> and also now this thing is possessed and i gotta get it out and i gotta get rid of this i gotta thing. go where's, i gotta, I gotta where's go the find a, i gotta go find a construction site or something yeah some cement or something yeah so and amy instantly tells her dad and you know she sees his you know wink and twitch and thinks something may be wrong with slappy's eyes Dad goes to fix the problem when suddenly the dummy's hand whips up and knocks him in the head. Yeah. He doesn't think it's a funny joke, but Amy insists she didn't do it. That Slappy did. I'm like, damn, this stuff is happening really fast in this book. Yeah, I'm like, we're on page 30 and we're already getting down to the nitty gritty of parental gaslighting. I know. She eventually tries to explain it away as like, you know, you know, just to ease her own mind. Yeah. Like you do. I mean, that makes sense. You know, dummy's hands fly up. Because who thinks that they have like a possessed fucking evil dummy? Who wants one? Yeah. They got to tell themselves that. Amy practices really hard with Slappy for the next few days, finding some joke books in the library to help her around with the act. At least they're resourceful kids. Yeah. I got to go find some joke books. Yeah. They're doing the research. Put in the work. And while she's actually excited for family sharing night this Thursday because she has been working really, really hard. And as a family finishes dinner, Amy sees a figure crawling across the floor and realizes it's Dennis. She brings everyone's attention to this, but it turns out just be Jed dressed as Dennis. Yeah. Pranking her. Everyone laughs at her expense. And people wonder why the middle child always has like a, a syndrome named a, after a, them. A complex. Yeah. <laughs> at family sharing night, mom tells the story of a fat woman in her clothing store that ripped every piece of clothing she tried on because they were too small. And everyone is laughing at the fat shaming going on. I don't like this at all, by the way. I even have this in my notes. I don't love this bit. It feels unnecessary and a little shamey, but good on the woman for buying the clothes. But, I, you know, what I have to say to that, though, is it, Amy is awesome because she's quick to point out to the to the reader yeah. how her mom is kind of chubby. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, mom, she's you're like, kind of fat. You want to talk. Yeah, I don't understand why this story is funny to you. Yeah, she was like, why are you telling this story? I'm like, it's called projection, Amy, dear. Yeah. <laughs> People project their insecurities onto others so they can feel better about themselves. Yeah. I, I I still just don't like it. I feel like it's unnecessary and shamey and I don't know. Maybe I'm projecting here. That's a sign of the times, I yeah. guess. Finally, it's Amy's turn. But just as she starts her act, Slappy starts to insult everyone in the room, mainly her parents. He calls her mom a fatso and makes light of her dad's bald head calls it an ostrich egg and a bowling ball. And then he calls the entire family ugly. Yep. All hell breaks loose and everyone starts arguing. But the gist of it is that no one believes Slappy spoke on his own, of course. Right. Amy reluctantly apologizes and goes to her room and dad tells the kids to get lost. Yeah. <laughs> because he's obviously pissed off. Uh, I, I also want to add that dad's contribution to family sharing night was he played a Bob Dylan song called Maggie's Farm from Bringing It All Back Home in 1965. There we go. Good reference. Thanks. <laughs> so, yeah, I, Dad needs to calm down and stop being so sensitive about his damn bald head. I'm sorry. Yeah. Get used to it, being an adult. Uh, the next day, Amy has bad luck, first spilling her lunch all over herself and then getting two C's on her report card. It may not seem that bad, but when you're used to better grades and they start slipping, you really feel the guilt trip from those around you. Oh, for sure. Yes. Her parents aren't happy, but at least they are willing to help her with her studies. Yeah. I, I mean, they're not bad parents. They're just, you know, gaslighting a little bit. <laughs> just a it's little fine. bit. Just a little. 
The next morning, Saturday, Margot calls to let Amy know that her dad wants to hire Amy for a triple birthday party the next weekend. Which is, you know, you know, Amy's quick to accept and say that she and Slappy will be there, but she has to finish her science project before she can do any rehearsing. Deciding to create a colorful cover sheet, Amy goes into Sarah's bedroom for supplies. Later, when Sarah returns home, she finds all the paint poured out and everything is ruined. Right. So I what's, huh? So when Sarah and mom blame Jed, he quickly points the finger at Amy, who he saw go into Sarah's room earlier. Right, because she was borrowing art supplies. Right. I think she was just grabbing markers, wasn't like, it? Just like a brown marker or something like that. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't even anything. Yeah. I don't understand. But, of course, again, no one believes Amy, blaming her for the paint mess. She runs to her room and slams the door after sobbing into her pillow for a minute. And she looks up to see Slappy turn to face her. She had him turned away. And he has paint all over his shoes. Yeah. And she's like, could the dummy be behind this? And my only note is, answer, yes, this is a sequel. <laughs> You're in a sequel. Come you on. You are girl. in a sequel. You will learn this soon. <laughs> that night, the family sits around to discuss Amy's recent behavior, still not believing a thing she says. But in all seriousness, the quote, the dummy did it, is not really a you know, normal no, sounding excuse. No, it's not. And and I get it. And if somebody like, if, if I were a parent, which I am not, if somebody came to me and they were like, I didn't do it, the dog did it. Data put the cereal bowl under the couch. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, you know, it's like, no, the fucking kid did it. Of course. Well, they even mentioned like trying out a psychiatrist. And I'm like, why don't you just try therapy first? Like, don't go straight for the drugs. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, my gosh. I mean, and I, I don't know that that was the intent. I mean, it's 95. Maybe that was the intention. That was kind of the year of Prozac, wasn't it? I guess. That's yeah. all that stuff. Right? Just drug her out. That sounds about the time I started Prozac. ADHD so, and, yeah. yeah. So she gets grounded for two weeks, but conveniently her family is totally fine with allowing her to go perform with Slappy at the party house birthday party. Well, hell, money. Come on. It's a weird way to teach her a lesson, fam. You know, yeah. You know, for yeah. the next week, the entire family basically avoids Amy, which I think is kind of cruel in its psychological manipulation. It is. It is. It really is. The Saturday of the birthday party, you know, of, of the birthday parties rolls mm -hmm. around and Amy's mom drops her off at the party house with Slappy. And one of the mothers decides to bring her the, her birthday girl, one of the three, three-year-old Alicia, over to meet Amy and Slappy. And everything's going well until Amy suggests Alicia sh uh, shake Slappy's hand. Yeah. And he won't let go. Yeah. And, like, why do parents think that kids would like a ventriloquism show? I don't know. I'm like, I have an aunt who somehow got it in her head that I loved clowns as a kid. Like she was and remains completely incorrect, but this would never have been my jam. It just—I don't know. I think parents project stuff that they would have wanted. Maybe I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, I get I, it. it it's easy entertainment, I guess, but like, it sounds like a special hell to watch a twelve-year-old do ventriloquism for you. Yeah, yeah. They're not that much older than you, right? Like, mm. So. Slappy is starting to grip tighter and tighter on this poor little girl's hand, and it's get, she's getting hurt really bad. Of course, they immediately think Amy is controlling the dummy's lifeless wooden hand, even though she is trying to pry him away. Yeah. And he starts to with this, like, maniacal laugh. <laughs> you know, that fun little laugh. After that horrible experience, Amy takes the bus home. She runs into her house and cries her eyes out, ignoring her mother's questions about how the party went. She tosses Slappy into the closet because she never wants to see him again. 
After Slappy finally let go of Alicia's hand, the kids at the party were just too scared. Oh, I mean, they're traumatized. Oh, yeah. This is what happens when you take your kids to a ventriloquism show. I know. Traumatized children, lawsuits. I mean, empty lawsuits if you really want to get down to it because you decided this was proper entertainment for your child and you can't really sue when an evil dummy attacks them. I know. So, you know, he had to, you know, that's what happened. They, you know, he got threatened the lawsuit and- you know, so he, she, he's like, can you can just take him and go. Just leave. Get Slappy out of here. You know, poor unfortunate Amy. Mom comes up to check on her and Sarah is in tow. After some coaxing, Amy lets the entire story spill out. Of course, Mom thinks Alicia's hand got caught on Slappy's sleeve or something. And Mom realizes that everyone thinks she's crazy. Yep. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. Amy thinks that everyone thinks she's crazy. Yes. So, you know, it's time to keep your mouth shut or you're going to end up in the nut house. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just more gaslighting. I know. Because they're, they're making up excuses instead of just listening to her. They're I'm, they're trying to excuse. They're trying to, to wave, hand wave away whatever happened. And they're like, I don't know. Maybe Amy's losing her mind, which at least they don't come out and say it. Like, I know. Like the other Me part. as a reader, I'm like, just shut up and ride this out and see if you can get a, a spot where you can actually, you know, yeah. prove yourself. Yeah. But, you know. That's a kid, I guess. Mom suggests that Amy just leave Slappy in the closet for now, and Amy needs some time away from him. Which, okay, I guess. Fair. Amy thinks she imagines hearing a sigh from the closet after this. She didn't imagine it. Uh, Sarah doesn't help matters by calling her little sister weird. Yeah, like blatantly. Just like, you're weird. Yeah. Like, what the hell's wrong with you? It's like, girl, if you think I need, like, mental help, like, this is not helping. Yeah. (laughs) Come on. The next morning, Amy awakens to a scream. Sarah is freaking out because she woke up to find Amy, 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 painted in red letters all over her walls. Yup. Amy, you were trouble, girl. Yeah. Ooh, the entire family gathers around Amy, accusing her of this vandalism. Amy, of course, keeps saying, Slappy did it, which doesn't help her prove her sanity. No, it does not. She gets everyone to follow her into the closet, where Slappy is laying on the floor, holding a paintbrush with red paint. She thinks this should prove her right, but all anyone could think of is why she would make it look like the dummy was painting. It does appear this way, but it would be infuriating if I were her. Absolutely. I, I get it. I get it from all perspectives. Honestly, I do. <laughs> I really do. Because, like, if, if my husband came to me and he was like, no, no, Maglio did that, I would be like, whatever, dude. Our dog did not do something. <laughs> no, really. He did. Uh, so mom says that they will get her some help before everyone goes downstairs for breakfast. That's kind of crap. Yeah. We're going to get you some help, honey. Like, yeah. I'm not crazy. Let's go eat French toast now. Uh, Amy grabs Slappy and yells at him to admit what he did. She stares into his eyes until she sees his mouth open at a wider grin and hears him chuckling faintly. Like, <laughs> like really softly. Later, after a somber phone call with Margot, where she promises her best friend to tell her about what's going on later, Amy gets a quick visit from mom. She tells Amy that she can come out of her room as soon as she admits the truth or the family's version of it. And Amy is determined to hold her ground. All she has to do is to say, to prove is that, you know, Slappy is the culprit. But how? How indeed. How indeed. She decides she'll just have to stay up every night till she sees Slappy leave her room where she'll follow him to prove that he's alive. To which I ask, how is this a good plan? You need actual proof, not just, I saw him moving. Dumbass kids, like, what? Yeah, I, 
I, I know that you don't have, you know, cell phones yet with cameras and video and stuff like that, but certainly by 95, every family had some sort of camcorder. Yes. Especially, like, I don't know. <laughs> After an awkward dinner where no one can speak to her, seriously screwed up to treat your kid this way, by yeah. the way, Amy goes to bed early. She's eager to catch Slappy in the act. But, of course, she falls asleep while trying to stay awake all night. Because that's what always happens. Well, yeah, it always happens. Every single time. Yeah. She awakens to someone moving around her room. Hoping it's Slappy, she turns to the light and finds her little brother Jed instead. She wonders why is he in her room, and he claims that she just called for him. She explains that he just woke her up, that she couldn't have called for him. Jed's still sleepy, thinking he may have dreamt it, and he leaves. And Amy considers Jed's reaction and determines that he wasn't lying. So she lays back down, but she can't get back to sleep. She wants to stay up and catch the dummy. And it's a very short time later when she finally sees Slappy exit the closet and leave her bedroom. Dun, dun, dun. She creeps down the hall after Slappy till he finally goes into Sarah's room again. From the doorway, she can see him grabbing a paintbrush. It looks like he plans to destroy the mural Sarah is painting on her wall, presumably to cover up the vandalism from earlier. Just as he's about to start making a mess, Amy jumps at him, grabbing him anyway. This wakes up Sarah, and Slappy immediately goes limp. Sarah doesn't wait for an explanation. She starts to yell out for mom and dad. I mean, ugh. I mean. Come on. Let your sister. But I, I, but I get it. Like I, mean, I said, I see all the perspectives. But Amy it. seriously needs a better plan. Yeah. Of course, the family comes in and doesn't believe her. Nope. The next morning at breakfast, mom tells Amy that she's got an appointment with Dr. Palmer, the shrink, on Wednesday. This leaves Amy just two days to prove Slappy's alive and she's not crazy. Good luck, girl. I am rooting for you. I mean, I really wonder what that psychiatrist appointment would sound like. <laughs> no, I wish I, had, I wish I had transcripts. Yeah. Like, I kind of want to write that story. I like, know. What this, what this. Fan fiction? Yeah, what this psychologist uh, appointment would. The appointment, just a little back and forth script. Yeah. <laughs> like an interview. Yeah. At lunchtime at school, Margot presses Amy about what's going on, but Amy is finally making a smart move and keeping her damn mouth shut. Because <laughs> nobody's going to fucking believe and you anyway. And it's just anyway. going to make everybody at school think she's crazy. Yeah. And that would just not be smart. After all, she doesn't want to be known as the crazy kid. You know? Right. Middle school's hard enough. Who, you know, I mean, ventriloquist dummies are alive. Oh, that's not that yeah. would be good. So that night in her bedroom, Amy decides just to call it quits and throw Slappy away, thinking it'll solve all of her problems. And as she goes toward the closet, it opens and st Slappy steps out. Amy, you and I haven't need to have a little talk. Slappy proceeds to call Amy his slave. The whole spiel again. <sighs> More slave talk. And threatens her. Yes. It, he says if she doesn't comply, he'll keep destroying things all over the house, making sure she gets blamed. He says that eventually they'll send her away where no one will ever see her except on visiting days. Like, dang. I'm like, Slappy. <laughs> I mean, it's it's extreme. It's extreme from the jump with him. I know. Amy decides he's just a dummy. I can handle him. <laughs> Before trying to pin him down, he fights back, punching her in the forehead with his hard wooden hands. Amy doesn't let the pain prevent her from grabbing Slappy and shoving him back into the closet. He keeps yelling at her that she'll regret this and she must obey him. He's pounding on the closet door hard and is about to break it down. And why doesn't anybody else hear this? I know. It's like, maybe they think she's just throwing a tantrum. Maybe. Maybe. You know, if she's the middle child, maybe she does it a lot. 
Maybe. We uh, don't we don't know her background. Well, we don't. Amy runs for help and finds Sarah in her bedroom. And that's when Sarah confesses that she knows Slappy's alive. What a bitch. I know. I'm like, why did... Ooh, she yeah, saw him the night that he wrote Amy all over the walls. Yeah, it, it's, it's fucking infuriating is what it is. I know. She's just adding to this poor girl's trauma. She just didn't want to believe it, but I'm like, Sarah, you fucking bitch. Yeah. Like, what is up with the gaslighting of these siblings? It, it's... Like, like I texted you the other day, this is just the whole family. gaslighting. Yeah. Not even just the parents. It's the whole family does it to each other. So Sarah explains that maybe she didn't say anything because she was jealous of Amy. How effortless, you know, Amy is just to make life look and everything. and Which is exactly how Amy feels about Sarah. Yeah, this is a really cute, touching moment between the sisters, honestly. And I think it'll change their relationship going forward, like, for you the know, better. Once you get rid of the dummy. Right, but I mean, just in general, to to open up and know those things about your sibling, that seems huge. Yeah. They have a moment of realizing whether or not, you know, that they neither one has it better than the other, right. really. A glimpse of true sisterhood before they go back to Amy's room to get Slappy. Just as they enter, the closet door bursts open and Slappy steps out. Guess what, slaves? I win! He says arrogantly. They both dive at him, and after a struggle, they grab hold and take him outside. It's 11 p.m. and the neighborhood is quiet. At first, they decide to throw him in a trash can down the block, but then they spot a storm drain and decide to just shove him into the sewer. I have no idea why. This has, like, Pennywise culture written all over it. Sure. <laughs> Surprisingly, he doesn't put up a struggle when they drop him in. No, because there's uh, balloons down there. He'll float. Yep. They all float. They all float. We're back in Stephen Kingland. No. No, Stephen Kingland's a happy place. Well, I don't want him. I don't it's want my happy place. Well, he. I guess it's like a little tribute to him. Yep. The next morning, Amy and Sarah come downstairs and, of course, find Slappy sitting across from their brother at the breakfast table. Mom makes Amy take him back upstairs, where Slappy repeats his slave talk, shoving him into the closet again. Amy goes to school and obsesses over it all day. I'm like, uh, so just, would I. Just gonna. I mean, she's probably out now. Yeah. But, you know, that night at bedtime, she hears him and exit the closet, and then she follows him into Sarah's room. And just as he grabs another paintbrush to fuck up Sarah's mural, a figure jumps out of the shadows, pushing Amy aside. It's Dennis. What? Her old dummy. Yeah. Slappy is totally thrown by surprise. There's another struggle, and finally Slappy's head is cracked open, effectively killing him. Stein notes there's a weird white worm that slithers out of his head and disappears into a crack in the white molding. And there's a white worm thing, you know, coming up with our podcast, so it's kind of... Yeah, you'll you'll see. I don't know what's up with the white worms and evil. I don't get it. I I, oh, I must have missed this part in the well, book. <laughs> we'll, we'll go over it later. <laughs> so next, mom and dad come bursting out of Sarah's closet, completely remorseful they didn't believe Amy. So it turns out the girls actually had a good plan. Yay! Sarah asked her parents to hide out in her closet to catch Amy in the act and also got Jed to dress up as Dennis again like he did before. Good plan, indeed. Yeah. You know? And I'm like, woohoo, Jed is Dennis saves the day. Go, I, Jed, go. I applaud you. And upon celebrating the end of the craziness, they look for Jed to come back out and find him in his room sound asleep. What? Turns out it wasn't Jed dressed as Dennis. Yeah. I was like. The end. Yeah. My, my last note on this book is, except no, it's just another fucking living dummy. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay. Well, you know, that's what happens when you live in R.L. Steinland. Yep. And so now we are on to Night of the Living Dummy 3. Katie, 
take it away with the cover. Okay, so this cover is fucking terrifying because Slappy's <laughs> in the middle and there are eight other dummies around him. Eight. There are nine dummies on this cover. <laughs> My only note on this book, because I just gave up, was more fucking dummies. <laughs> I'm just, y'all. Okay. So the, the line on the front is, every dummy has his day and his night. <laughs> yep. So back of the book, when dummies speak, everybody listens. Trina O'Dell's dad used to have a ventriloquist act. That's why he has all those dummies in the attic. He calls it his dummy museum. There's a dummy with freckles. And one with a sneer, just like Rocky. Trina and her brother Dan think the dummies are pretty cool. But now there are voices in the attic, and dummies keep showing up in the strangest places. No way those dummies could be alive, right? Reader beware, you're in for a scare. Goosebumps. Yup. <laughs> okay, on to the book. Like you said, we open on another first-person narrative for Trina O'Dell, a 12-year-old self-described as tall and chubby, with curly red hair and her brother Dan. Gingers! <laughs> Dan is a tiny kid she sometimes calls Mouse. I was like, man, if this name could have just been Michael Tolliver <laughs> <laughs> from that Tales of the City, uh -huh. this would have been the most epic story ever. Right. The two are creeping about to the attic, a place where they dare not go because of the eyes that stare back at them from the shadows. I get it. My mom's office, she collects porcelain dolls. She has my entire life. Well, another time, remember I'd said I'd kept away from yeah. the vase with all the peacock feathers because yeah. they look like eyes and they freaked me out. Yeah. No, my mom has like 25 dolls in this fucking room on top of a bookshelf and I hate going in there when I have to use her computer. It's okay. You don't have to do that anymore. It's my trauma. It's okay. I know. I live 750 miles away from her. I don't have to do it very often. <laughs> well, as if that weren't creepy enough, we learned that their father was a ventriloquist back in the day. Now he operates a camera shop. They have over a dozen old dummies in their attic, or the dummy museum, as he calls it. Even though he doesn't perform anymore, Mr. O'Dell still keeps his dummies in good shape, like Wilbur, his original dummy. Do you have happen to have the name of the of his act? I think it was Danny O'Dell and his dummies, or something. I, I don't remember. I just thought it was it was kind of bland, but I thought it was interesting. Yeah, well, you know, because her brother is a Dan Junior, right. so. So, uh, though his, the clothes on Wilbur are all tattered, Wilbur has a fresh coat of paint on him. And I guess it's nice that he keeps them up, even if he's not going to play with them or do anything with them, just to have them display. Yeah. You know, you know, but why would you keep them up in the dusty old attic if that's the case? I don't know. So even though Trina grew up with these dummies, they still creep her out. And she manages, you know, she imagines them sitting around talking at night. And sometimes she thinks she hears them moving around in the attic space above her. That's so creepy. Well, I mean, you know, if you're a kid, you're going to think that kind of stuff. Oh, especially. for sure. That's why I'm like, that's so creepy. Well, ooh, Yeah, no, I'm getting creeped out. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> this was probably the creepiest one, I think, because of all the dummies. Yes. As Dan plays with Miss Lucy, the only girl dummy with curly blonde hair, he gasps and points at Rocky, a mean-looking dummy with a snarl. And what's funny is, you know, Rocky in the, uh, the Goosebumps episode of this book, he's like dressed up like a gangster. Okay. So I kind of see it like Rocky, mm, you know, he has like this. Okay. Yeah. That's a completely different view than I had, like in my head. I know, but that's what they use and I can kind of see it. It works. It works for that. And also I'm looking at the cover again right now and there is only one female dummy and she has curly blonde hair. So way to go. 
artist. Yes. That would be Tim Jacobus. Yes. I didn't know how to say the last name, so I didn't want to <laughs> I didn't want to mess it up. It's cool. So he goes, Trina, look. He yeah. says it just as Rocky leans forward and says, Trina, I'm gonna get you. And Trina's like, ah! But then they hear somebody laughing, and the dad has teamed up with Dan just to scare her. I'm like, nice family. Yeah. Uh, what what's up with these? I know. Because now the parents do it now, and it's like they're just gonna flip it. Yeah. So I'm like, get out while you still can, kid. Your dad's a douche. <laughs> Are you telling this like twelve year old girl to emancipate get herself? Out. Get out now. <laughs> you need to be emancipated from your parents. <laughs> He's mean. He plays pranks. Well. You got to go. <laughs> so we find out that though her dad is a great ventriloquist, his jokes are lame. She also has never actually seen his act because he gave it up before you know, she was born in favor of opening up the you know camera shop. Sure. Dad calls him over to his workbench where he pulls out a bag with a surprise inside. I feel like this is a surprise for dad and not a surprise for anybody else. Well, to me, a, a surprise, not a good surprise, if anything, yeah. for them. He reaches in and he pulls out another dummy with blue eyes, a crooked smile. A tattered gray suit. Sound familiar? This guy sounds really fucking familiar. <laughs> he says he found the new dummy in the trash. Where he should be. His head was split in two, which was easily repaired, apparently. <sighs> he is really proud of this dummy. But Trina and Dan are both creeped out by the new addition. And if anything, I think Dad's a little creepy myself, but whatever. Well, yeah, I mean. He is. He's like, just, look at just, my precious. <laughs> <just> by, <laughs> you know, that's kind of what he thinks. You know. Just by nature, he's a little creepy. So dad leaves to enter a phone call, but not before naming the new dummy Smiley, much to the kid's disgust. Yeah, I don't like that name either. I don't like Slappy either, but, you know. It kind of makes more sense now. Yeah. Waiting for his return, they admire the work he's done so far in repairing the new dummy, but are trying to figure, you know, think of a better name for him. Trina jokes that it should be Dan the Third, since her brother is a junior. And they also point out that this is the 13th dummy in dad's collection, mentioning to themselves <laughs> that's an unlucky number. Like, yes. No shit. And this is an evil dummy, y'all. Yeah. And the 13th edition is bad. Yep. Dan finds a card in his pocket. It's only chapter two. It, it's just progressing. Like, it's getting sooner and sooner and sooner. And then, you know, Trina reads the words, Karu, Mari, blah, 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 Malonu, Karano. Appreciate it again. Thank you. The dummy immediately winks at Trina, but... You know, before flat out slapping her in the face. Yeah. <laughs> hey, slappy. She tries to explain what happened to her brother. And after her dad, you know, returns. But, of course, no one believes her. Sensing a pattern here. Already. Yeah. I mean, like they said, it's just parental gaslighting is the theme of these books. <laughs> well, dad returns with news that their Uncle Cal and their cousin Zane will be visiting for spring vacation. Which, you know, why not just call it spring break? I'm tired of people saying spring vacation in movies and stuff. I'm like, it's spring break. You know, are we trying to dissuade these kids that are, you know, from the book about, you know, to not pay attention to the MTV Beach House or something? Yeah, I, I, I feel like, and this might be even a Friends reference, but I feel like spring break is like, woo, whereas spring vacation is just like that week off you get before Easter. I know, but, you know, it's a break from school. Yeah. So according to Trina, Zane is a geek who is afraid of everything. They really don't like him, even though he's their only cousin. Dad gets stern for a moment and makes them promise not to try to scare Zane like they did last time when he visited. And apparently he's afraid of the dummies in the attic, too. Which, smart kid. And also, Trina mentions that he's kind of attractive. And I'm like, oh, girl, no, he's your cousin. Step away. (laughs) 
Her only cousin, too. Yes. So reluctantly, they agree not to scare him. But as Trita admits, it's a promise they won't be able to keep. Gee, I wonder why. Right. The day Zane and Uncle Cal arrive, Trina is playing the piano. She says she does this often to help with her stress. I mean, God, how how stressed is she? Hey, you know, 12-year-olds have stress. I get it, but wow. Trina admits that she and Dan were pretty mean to Zane during their last visit, playing ghostly pranks on him when the house, you know, to make him think the house was haunted. She's nervous about his visit, hence the piano playing. So when Zane arrives, he's grown a lot since their last visit. He surprises Trina by taking her picture with a bright flash. Apparently, he's really into photography now, and especially candid shots. Uh, yes. <laughs> I, I, I do have thoughts on this, but I, I'm going to bring them up later, I think. Okay. Well, Uncle Cal, the cheapskate that makes more money than Trina's dad, uh, basically volunteers Mr. Odell to give Zane some old cameras and photography supplies. Yes, which I think is... Hilarious. I know. I was like, seriously, I, I would have said no and then make sure that his kids learn what's appropriate. Right. Okay. So upon unpacking, Zane screams from upstairs. Someone has left a dummy, Rocky, on top of the door. So when Zane opened it, Rocky fell on top of him like it was attacking him. Kind of like that water bucket yeah, of water yeah. trick. Dan and Trina are scolded for the prank. And Zan try, Zan, Zan? Zane tries to brush it off, obviously shaken. So uh, Dan and Trina blame each other for the, blame each other for the prank, and it seems something uh, is afoot. Maybe, maybe, perhaps. As they take Rocky back upstairs, the to the dummy museum, Zane decides to be brave and follow them. They show him around, and he takes a few pictures. When suddenly he yelps out in pain, one of the dummies, the red-haired Arnie, apparently slapped him. Uh oh. Neither Dan nor Trina nearby, you know, when it happens, right. so they don't know. Which kind of ticks me off, you know. I mean, what ticks me off is, although the same thing that happened with Trina and the dummy who must not be named, <laughs> she tries to tell Zane that what happened was impossible. Right, and it's like, girl, like, you got slapped by a dummy who winked at you. <laughs> like, maybe take it seriously? I know. So, I mean, as I leave the attic, Trina tells Dan to quit his pranks. And she knows, uh, you know, he's just been up to something. And she reminds him that they made Dad, you know, a promise not mm-hmm. to, you know, mess with Zane. That night, Zane visits Trina's room just before she falls asleep. And he's freaking out because he heard a weird voice in the attic, you know, some talking voices. She thinks he was dreaming, but he says he can't sleep in new places, especially this house. So he was wide awake. She tries to convince him that the house is old and it creaks and makes noises, but he is convinced to hear it was voices. So they go downstairs for a literal midnight snack when they find Rocky sitting at the kitchen table. I'm sorry. That would creep me the fuck like, out. Ah! Yeah. Trina tells Zane that she's sure Dan is just pranking them both. You know, and at this point in time, she is pissed. Since it's the middle of the night, she can't go pound on the piano. So she's going to go pound on Dan, which sounded bad because that's it exactly really what it really does sound bad. I, but I mean, at least she's not pounding her, her attractive cousin. You know? <laughs> they rush upstairs. These, these books are unintentionally pervy. I'm just saying. I know. So they rush upstairs and they're leaving this creepy dummy in the attic. Into Dan's room they go, but Dan is sound asleep and he's not faking it. He's asleep. Confused and tired, they decide to go back to bed. And as they turn the door, Rocky's head pops around the corner. I would be like, ah! I would have screamed my head off. Oh, for sure. This would just freak me the fuck out. But, you know, so it turns out it's just dad holding Rocky. Yeah. 
He heard them downstairs earlier and he found Rocky at the table and he's tired of the pranks and he doesn't believe Dan or Trina when they tell them like he they did not do it. For some reason, Zane is incredibly quiet during all of this. Yeah. I thought that was weird. He I says, thought that was remarkably suspicious. I know. I was like, what's going on? Why doesn't he say anything? He says that he finds Rocky where he isn't supposed to be again. There's going to be some, you know, serious trouble. The next morning, Trina walks downstairs to find Rocky at the kitchen table again. So she quickly grabs him up and takes him back to the attic so no one can see him. Uh, does anybody just think that Rocky might be hungry? I, I mean, like, these people all eat a feed lot. Me. Yeah. So the siblings vow to be extra nice to Zane from then on. Even helping him with take, you know, take pictures of the moldings around the house and the banisters. This is what I wanted to talk about. Because what? he's super into candid shots, but then he spends like hours taking pictures of like crown molding. I know. I which just, I respect because I think crown molding is fascinating and textures on walls and I think it's amazing. But he's like, I'm really into candid shots. And then he literally spends hours taking pictures of walls. <laughs> I know. I thought it was really weird too. Yeah. But, you know, I think there's a reason for it, but, you know, there could be a reason for it. So all the while, they're wishing that they were outside on a beautiful spring day. Zane decides he wants to develop the pictures of Dad's darkroom in the basement. So they all go downstairs, and they watch Zane do his work. He seems really excited until some strange pictures seem to be coming out. Several close-up shots of Rocky, selfie style, I'm guessing. Now Zane is pissed. Later, Trina goes upstairs... And interrogates <laughs> the dummies. Like, like you do. <laughs> basically thinking out loud, really. Yes. You're like, who is the culprit? You know? And really suspecting Dan the whole time. When she turns to leave, she hears soft laughter coming from the couch. As she gets closer, she swears the new dummy, the one that Dad calls Smiley, is insulting her. Uh, spoiler yeah. alert, he probably is. Well, it, it's like, is your hair red or are you just rusting? And... You're really pretty, pretty ugly. She screams and Dan pops up from behind the couch. Of course, she's really ticked at him, but he asks, who was that talking? And this starts another back and forth of stop pranking. No, you stop pranking, which, you know, I'm on the verge of, you know, annoying me like the way the twins were doing. Yeah. Uh, so I have a question. So yes. you you have a sibling that you grew up with. Did you all prank each other like constantly? Well, my brother would like jump out sometimes and scare me, but that was that's about it. Yeah, and nothing like it this. Like Not elaborate war. stuff where I'm gaslighting somebody. Okay. I, yeah, I'm just curious, like if this is how siblings work. <laughs> I don't know these these siblings are cruel. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, that's not something that's normal in my perspective. But anyway, finally, Dan says something that actually makes sense. Zane's got to be the one moving Rocky around and pranking them, you know, to get them into trouble. Bingo. As revenge for how much they scared him last time, probably. Yeah, that so this, was that was my thought while I was reading this. Yes. Was, it's Zane getting revenge. I was like, why is he being so quiet? Yeah. So the two decide to reconvene that night in the attic to hide and catch Zane when he comes up to get a dummy. So they sneak upstairs, sneak upstairs quietly, and hide behind the couch. And Trina's hand lands on a dummy's hand, and she thinks it feels abnormally warm. I'm like, she also thinks she hears faint chuckle, but dismisses it as yep. her imagination. Of course, they always dismiss. Sitting in silence for so long, Trina feels, you know, really sleepy, and she kind of falls asleep briefly before, you know, waking up to the sound of some footsteps. At first, she thinks it's Dan until she sees that he's still next to her behind the couch. Silently, they both peer through the darkness and see someone grabbing a dummy and heading back downstairs. Quickly but quietly, Trina runs over and flips the light switch to reveal Zane. And it turns out Dan was right and Zane really was pranking them as payback. They all have a laugh at how they've been acting 
and call for a truce on the prank ward so they can go back downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> the next morning, the group is all smiles, and they go nature exploring on a bike ride around the neighborhood and through the woods. And the truce is really held up, and the cousins are really enjoying each other's company, finally. Which is awesome. Yes. I'm all for that. Yay. They return home, and Zane notices the old well in their backyard. And I was like, hmm, maybe a plot device for later, maybe? Oh, very possibly. He takes some pictures before they go inside to find Zane's bedroom is trashed. Clothing and books are all over the floor. The lampshade has been torn and you know busted. And there's Rocky sitting in the middle of all the chaos. And Trina and Dan's mom come into the room and all three kids are like, no, we, we don't know what the hell happened here. Like, we weren't, we weren't even fucking home. There is no way we could have done this. But yes. And like, so who could have done it? So the dad returns home from work and immediately goes off on all the kids. Which is bullshit. I know. Um, They have alibis. I watch Dateline. Come on. uh, Well, you know, kids are assholes. The parents are assholes in these books. Yes. (laughs) He's tired of this prank business with all the dummies. He threatens to bolt the attic door, and I would support this if I were the kids. Absolutely. All right, do it, please. Yep. Uh, That night, Trina has a nightmare about all the dummies in the house. They're dancing around Zane's trashed room and dancing around Slappy, Smiley. Um, I mean, I would have had nightmares about all the dummies in the house, like, every night for my entire life. After, like, one. Yeah. (laughs) She wakes up from her dream to find Rocky on top of her, his little wooden hands going for her throat. Like you do. Yes. She struggles with him for a minute, eventually flinging him to the floor right as mom and dad come in to check on the ruckus she's causing. And dad's like, this has got to stop. And he grabs Rocky and takes him upstairs. Finally, you know, Trina thinks it may be a good idea for dad to bolt the door. Yes, please. (laughs) So later, Dan comes to Trina's room and tells her he thinks Zane isn't honoring their truce. He convinces Trina to go back upstairs the next night to catch Zane in the act again. The evening rolls around again and the family's having a dinner party for Uncle Cal and Zane with some family and neighbors. They all have a fancy, you know, china and um, and flowers and a leg of lamb. And it yeah, sounds like it's a legit dinner party. It sounds freaking awesome, yeah. actually. <laughs> mm, lamb. I know. Uh, then in the midst of it all, Zane suddenly announces he's going to get his camera, in which they hear him scream from upstairs. Everyone runs up to find Zane distraught and holding his smashed up camera. I would be so fucking mad. I know, because it's his most prized possession. And also, cameras are expensive. Yeah. So dad immediately stares daggers at Trina and Dan. And I'm like, they were downstairs with you lot, yeah. weren't they? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like we all have alibis. What the fuck? Dad? I mean, we had alibis earlier. Yeah. Like, what's th- going on? This really pissed me off. I know. Zane runs out of the room in tears and they all hear a crash come from downstairs. So, you know, everybody starts running downstairs and Trina stops Dan from running after everyone and says Zane wouldn't have destroyed his own camera. Absolutely not. You know, don't just get back at them. Like, And Dan's like, I don't know. Maybe he did. So they go downstairs to see the rest of, you know, where everybody's at. And they see that the dining room is now trashed. Yeah. And um, by the way, they were all together upstairs. So who the fuck trashed the dining room? I know. Well, food everywhere. And there's, you know, platters overturned. This is so sad. Mom love, is in hysterics. I love food so much. This is really, this is really like terrifying for me. <laughs> I know. So dad like points at Trina and uh, points Trina towards the head of the table where there's Wilbur and Smiley. <clears throat> slappy. Yep. And they're holding wine glasses up as if they're you know, toasting the mess that they've made. That night, after midnight, Trina brings her little snapshot camera upstairs to the attic. 
She's really convinced herself that Zane must be the culprit, and this time they're going to snap a picture of him to prove it. It takes a while, but they finally hear footsteps and just know that Zane is upstairs again. Popping their heads from around the, uh, behind the couch, they see something move, but it's Smiley carrying Rocky over his shoulder and walking towards the door. I personally am shocked. Oh my goodness. Trina <laughs> snaps some quick pictures before flipping on the, wipes, like the light switch. She yells, Smiley, stop! And that's when the dummy turns to them and says, my name's not Smiley, it's Slappy! I, I, he's really attached to this name. I know. I mean, it's a good name, I guess. It's all right. It's menacing in yeah. a way. It's, it's kind of humorous, but menacing. Yeah. So then the inevitable struggle between Slappy, you know, begins, and, you know, him and calling the slaves and whatnot, until Dad comes upstairs. Yep. Slappy goes lifeless, of course, and Dad thinks that the two are lying to him. I mean, they even tell him that the dummy's real name is Slappy. Like, his name's not Smiley. He just told us his name was Slappy. And he's but, like, well, I don't care, whatever. Yeah, but if you're the dad and you're like, no, the fucking dummy was just talking to me, you're going to be like, really? Like, I need to put all my kids in therapy. This is ridiculous. Well, instead, he just grounds them until further notice and right. he leaves. So Trita picks up Slappy, who winks at her before grinning and making a kissing sound, taunting her. I'm like, damn. He's like, mm, 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 mm. Like. The, he's an evil son of a bitch. Yeah, and also, again, with the pervy. I, yeah, that's true. He does the whole blackmail spiel again, you know, saying, I'm going to, you know, do as I say or I'll make you look crazy. And the kids grab him and try to, you know, pull his head apart from where the dad had put it back together. But apparently the dad did an excellent repair job. Yes. That is mentioned several times. (laughs) The dad was really good at repairing this dummy. Yes. So Trina gets an idea. They're going to just throw him in the old well in their backyard. (gasps) Look at that plot device. Yeah. They struggle for a little bit, but they get him down there and they throw him over. So the next morning, well-rested and overconfident, they head downstairs and find Dad in a bad mood again because Slappy's sitting at the kitchen table. They always come back and they're always at the kitchen table. Always at the kitchen table. What's up with that? That's why I was like, these people eat all the time. (laughs) They know exactly where they're going to go. Yes. He makes the kids take the dummy upstairs and Slappy boasts his victory once again. Later that day, everyone has left to go shopping except for Dan and Trina, who stay behind trying to figure out how to get rid of Slappy. And that's when Trina remembers the card she read in Slappy's pocket. They sneak upstairs thinking that, you know, Slappy's asleep, which, you know. Do, do they, dummies sleep? Do they sleep? Do I evil dummies sleep? Trina thinks she can read the card again and then perhaps they can reverse the spell. Wrong. Hint, Trina, it won't work. Yeah. <laughs> Wrong. Slappy grabs her before she gets to the card. Another struggle. And Slappy's really hurting Trina's wrists. And Dan jumps in and grabs the card, reading the words to end the craziness. This, of course, doesn't work but instead creates a bigger mess. All of the other dummies come to life. And that is where I'm just like noped out of life. (laughs) Bye, y'all. Now it really is Night of the Living Dummy. With all these zombie-like wooden dolls coming out from the shadows. Please please have Keith Morrison or Josh Mankiewicz do my dateline. That's it. I'm done. (laughs) They brace for the worst, but the dummies move past them straight for Slappy. They start to attack him instead. Again, with the dummy on dummy crime, but and it's I'm kind here of, for it. It's hard to know what's going on because it's in this huddle. But just then, Zane comes upstairs and all the dummies go lifeless again. Again. It, it's very Toy Story. It is. It's very much. Yeah. Zane, convinced that Trina and Dan were planning to prank him again, goes and tattles to their father. And now they're really in trouble. To what extent, we've never really found out. No. The next day, Uncle Cal and Zane are saying their goodbyes to leave. And shitty little Zane tells Trina he hopes he never comes back. And she silently wishes the same thing. 
So dad offers to gift Zane any camera he wants for his birthday. But Zane is over photography now. Yeah, I'm, I'm done with that. You like, know, instead. It was, it was my passion. It was my hobby. I, I'm done. Yeah, it only took a few days. Yeah. So instead, he's become fascinated with ventriloquism. Like you do. So dad orders Trina to go up and pick out a dummy for Zane to take home. Oh, oh. Which one do you think she picked? I think she picked Slappy. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> the end. What? So that was the Night of the Living Dummy trilogy. Yes, it was. Oh, so, oh my goodness. We made it through. Made it through. Look at Just us. Just barely. Yeah. Yes. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And we really hope that you subscribe for more shows, you know, um, wherever you're listening to us. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Yes. Especially if you're listening to us on iTunes. Because it really does help us if you uh, rate, review, and subscribe, especially on iTunes, because it'll get us more listeners and we can produce more content and, you know, hopefully keep you guys laughing. That's the goal. And, you know, smiling and reminiscing and whatnot. So contact us. Um, You can contact us on Facebook or Instagram. It's Dustin and Katie can read. Or on Twitter, which is at D and K can read. Um, you can also reach us by uh, email at, you know, the Dustin and Katie can read at gmail.com. There you go. Thank you. And we hope to hear from you guys soon. Give us suggestions. Give us some ratings. Subscribe. and Yeah, we appreciate all feedback. If you want to flame me for loving Theon Greyjoy, go for it. I am here for it. <laughs> we love you guys. We appreciate you. Dustin and Katie out. Bye. Someone wanted to write and they had some good ideas so they wrote it down and it turned into a book that Dustin and Katie can read. (laughs) Dustin and Katie can read. Yeah. Hello and welcome again to another edition of Dustin and Katie can read. What are we reading this month? Well, Dustin and I'm Katie. Uh, We are doing... (laughs) (laughs) I would hope to... By now, you should know this. But we're not going to assume anything. You know, Dustin just fucked the whole format, like, right from the jump. But we are reading the Living Dummy Trilogy. Goosebumps books. Good. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for chiming in. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Evil little dummy.